Welcome back to the Feels Like 05 podcast, your premier source for all things Texas football preview. I'm your host, Carter Yates. Alongside me today is Brett Hintz. We here again. Let's we still it. here. <laughs> we're going into the – today we're going to be going into the top ten storylines for this Texas football team. I mean, there's so many to choose from um, that that we, we talked about, but we, we think we've narrowed it down to a good list that we have, and I think this is a team that a lot of fans can get behind this year for sure. There's a lot of interesting pieces and a lot of – uh, interesting guys on this team, to say the least. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I and mean, it starts, I think, with running back Bajon Robinson. I think it starts and starts again, and it starts one more time with Bajon Robinson. I mean, I can't find the words enough to describe just how exciting Bajon Robinson will be. This is a guy that I mentioned, I think, earlier in the first episode, that he, he gets Reggie Bush comparisons. And whenever you think about Reggie Bush, like that comparison is no joke. And so we look at storylines going into the season, I think – a number one is going to be Bajon Robinson and just being able to watch, um, you know, sort of the the limitations that are on him. They're going to be off, and we're going to see Bajon Robinson completely unleashed. Yeah, so Bijan Robinson is – many are expecting to be the next Texas football great. Obviously, Texas is a, is a university that is known for producing top-level running backs. You go back to their two Heisman winners with Earl Campbell and Ricky Williams – they also have guys like Jamal Charles and even a couple of years ago, Deontay Foreman, who won the Doak Walker Award for the nation's best running back. Bijan Robinson, seemingly the next in line. Freshman year last year, he set the Texas yards per carry record. I believe he had like eight yards per carry. Yeah. Something insane like that. I mean, 8.4 yards a carry, That is, a, it just is a big reflection on the home run ability that Bajon Robinson has. I mean, obviously, like you said, um, you're not going to watch Bajon Robinson carry the ball for eight, eight yards every time he touches it. You're going to watch Bajon Robinson go for four, five, four, five, and then he's going to go for 60 and then mm-hmm. 70. You know what I mean? As, so as a Texas fan going into that, something to watch is just watch Bajon Robinson and just watch the one, he makes one guy miss and it's over. It's, and it's, it's, we're going to the crib. It's, 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 it's six the other way. Yep. And so I think last year, Texas fans were really clamoring to see him used more. He obviously didn't even get the ball 100 times. And Tom Herman kind of put the training wheels on him a little bit. And, you know, partially because he was a freshman, he probably wasn't ready for the big moment yet. But also because they had Keontae Ingram and Roshan Johnson both ahead of him in the running back room. Keontae Ingram now has transferred to USC and it's. Bijan is the clear number one guy with Roshan Johnson as the second back. And Roshan Johnson is a converted quarterback. Uh, he's a great team guy, a great leader. He doesn't have the natural ability at running back that Bijan Robinson does, but I like Roshan as a pass blocker and I like him as a mentor for Bijan. Right. I think Roshan Johnson is one of the better success stories. Um, that Texas football can brag about because this is a guy that came to campus as a quarterback and as we all remember he sort of went to running back um, in an emergency whenever uh, Texas had some injury issues and he sort of had to play a new position in which he had almost no familiarity doing so and he was really really good at it I mean for a guy that had never played the position before this is a guy we saw run the ball and we're like man this is a guy that can be you know they can take the majority of the carries for a program like the University of Texas and that's impressive in its own so to have that as a backup option to a guy that has Heisman-like um, 
expectations coming out of the gate for 2021, I think that is special, especially for Bijan Robinson. Texas will really have to lean on Bijan Robinson this fall because they're going to be breaking in a new quarterback. And I think a lot of times last year, Texas relied too much on Sam Ellinger's QB run game and didn't really establish a running back rotation soon enough into games. You see it the last few games of the season, whether it be versus West Virginia versus Kansas State, when they really established Bijan Robinson early. You'll remember the West Virginia game, he had a 60-yard run right at the opening play. Kansas State, he averaged like 18 yards a carry. Once they get him going, the whole offense it around him works better because it opens up the play-action pass. It opens up the RPO read that Sarkeesian is so famous for running. And really... The only concern I have for Bijan is can he handle this large workload? Like, can he be the guy who gets it 25 to 30 times a game? Because last year he was getting it less than 10 times and getting extensive breaks in between like quarters of burst. Yeah, I mean, and like you said, you nailed it, I think, whenever we were talking about it. In the, uh, in the first episode, Tom Herbin probably would still have a job if he was able to give Bajan Robinson the amount of carries that he was supposed to have throughout the entire season. And so being able uh, to see Bajan Robinson get those carries that we were so eager to want, to, like we wanted him to get the carries, those carries so bad, we don't know if, he's, if his body is able to handle those carries. And so we talked about it kind of off air before. We just don't know if he can handle that level of constantly that level of getting beat up day in and day out every game and so we're hoping um, while we're excited for Bajan Robinson and to see the special season play out it does give us a little bit of concern because we've just never done it before because it's not even like in high school right he was doing it that much I mean he was like one of the nation's premier running backs in the class of 2020 but he was so dominant that he oftentimes wouldn't even be playing in the second half of his games because uh, his team would be winning by so much that he he wasn't forced to really receive like upwards of over 20 carries a game. So that's to be the biggest test for Bijan Robinson. Also, another test I have for him is in the run blocking. I think that as oftentimes with a freshman, struggling to pick up blitzing linebackers who are bigger than anyone they've seen in high school, that's obviously an area that's going to take some time to really develop. But Bijan Robinson, I think if he can, that's where Roshan Johnson, I should say, is going to really help out because Roshan yeah. Johnson's a really good pass blocker. Yeah, I mean, and just having that veteran, uh, that veteran presence in the locker room, and also just because he can take some of that pressure off of Bijan Robinson, who is already coming into the season knowing that the Texas offense is going to go, I think, how Bajon Robinson goes. And so to have that to have that Rashawn, that Rashawn Johnson who can come in and take care of maybe you know the harder parts of the position that go with playing running back like pass blocking, I think that takes a huge weight off of Bajon's shoulders and it makes Texas' offense that much better. Hey, y'all, we wanted to take a quick break from Brett and I talking y'all's ear off to bring you a quote from Westcott Ebert, a team site producer at Burnt Orange Nation. He's going to be talking about his expectations for Bijan Robinson this upcoming football season. Is the Bijan Robinson hype train starting to get a little out of control here, do you think? Or do you think this is he's about to have one of the, you know, greatest single seasons like a lot of people are expecting? I don't I don't think that the hype train is, is out of control at all. I mean, um, you know, Keandre Coburn, the, the great story that that he told yesterday about how when, you know, he was in practice and he just teed off on on Bijan and I mean, we're talking about a guy who's 340 pounds, but quick. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. really great athlete for his size. 
And, you know, he, he thought that he'd gotten all of them. And then he realizes that Bijan is still on his feet and running down the field. And, you know, so he mentioned contact balance. And, you know, I, I think you can see it where, you know, even in some of the practice clips from the spring, like it's, it's really incredible some of the hits that he can take but still maintain his balance. Um, you know, and, and that wasn't even really the, the thing that um, Sark mentioned when, you know, we were talking about Reggie Bush yesterday because uh, Bijan wears number five because of Reggie Bush. And, you know, Sark said that the, the closest similarity to Reggie Bush is his ability to really plan his foot and get upfield with so much explosiveness. And that's why I think, you know, he was so good at outside zone last year. Like really, you know, the one scheme that really maximized him. And he mentioned that he really likes running counter too. Um, you know, I, I think some of his upside this year depends on being more consistent and, and more um, and just just improving at, at running schemes like inside zone or, or power, some of the concepts that Texas didn't really use with him last year. So I think some of that diversity um, in his running ability will impact his upside this year. But, you know, I mean, Stan Drayton has a deserved reputation as a great running backs coach. And, I mean, Bajan is a great kid who, who, who works hard and he's smart. And so, you know, if, I, I think he's going to be able to maximize, you know, his talent as long as the offensive line can open up the holes for him. So that's the biggest storyline that we decided for this 2021 season is Bijan Robinson the emergence of him as the next great Texas running back. Right now, his Heisman odds are about plus 1,700. I think that's good. It's a value bet for I like sure. That. I mean, I think – I mean, this is a guy, like we said, if you're a Texas football fan, the one thing I want you to take take away from this podcast is that you are going to see Bajon Robinson carry the ball a lot this year. Like, he is going to be the focal point. Bajon Robinson, Bajon Robinson, Bajon Robinson. You know what I mean? And so yeah. – they, this, to have that, we're going to see a Heisman-level season, and it's going to be so exciting to watch yeah. week in and week out. So, second biggest storyline is fans being back in the stadium at DKR and also the new stadium improvements yeah. that Texas has put in place. Uh, I went to one game last year, and it was the West Virginia game, and it was wah, wah, <laughs> not fun uh-huh. whatsoever. The atmosphere was nowhere near what it had been for games like my freshman year when right. we went to LSU and we played Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Um, just, I'm really excited to for Texas fans to finally be able to show out and, and pack DKR because, I mean, it's some of the – I've gotten chills watching games there, and right. I don't mean to be dramatic when I say that. Oh, yeah. But I, mean, I haven't been to a game since I was a sophomore, and I'm a senior now. And so I miss I didn't because I didn't go to a single game last year. I missed that environment. My freshman year, the night game against USC, um, you know, my sophomore year, LSU, even the games against Tech. You know, what I mean, it's a level the level of intensity in DKR is one of the most exciting atmospheres in college football. I think, and that's a pretty, I think, well. I mean, that's a that's a that's a widely had opinion. I think mm-hmm. about DKR and with DKR, the South End Zone Edition. Um, they've been working on it forever. I think we've all been sort of frustrated, at least since my freshman year. I remember literally like there's been construction on it yeah. forever, but it's finally done. And if you've seen pictures of it, it looks beautiful. Like you said, if you go back and rewatch games from the 2019 season, especially the, the Texas versus LSU game when yeah. college game day was here and it was a nationally <laughs> televised ESPN game, and you literally have Cameron Dicker kicking into a sand pit. 
uh, on the south side of the end zone. They completely redid the south side and they made it to where it's it's so hard to describe, but there's a new jumbo video trunk, yeah. like video board. There is a Longhorn like outline in the in the seats that yeah. Texas players are going to run out of. Yeah, it's if you've seen the picture, if you like, if you haven't seen a picture of it, look at look at it on Google or Twitter. It is one of the coolest looking things. Like it's it it, it looks like Texas football makes a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and well, and a lot of people were making fun of it. I think at first when the when the design came out because they said it looks like a birth canal a little <laughs> bit, but I think now that it's actually done, it looks really cool. Text players are gonna be running out of that that longhorn outline. Is that and what we call uteruses? A birth canal? Because <laughs> that's what people like. That's what they look like. It's like a uterus. That's like yeah. a running joke. Is that has just a funny classification for birth for a uterus? Is calling it a birth. <laughs> it's calling it a birth canal. <laughs> I, I consider myself a football uh, a football guy, not hey. a not a biology hey, no, guy. No, hey, no, no, hey, no, hey. I'm just thinking. I think that's hilarious because, like, you know, it did. People were roasting us. It looked like a birth canal, but you know, it looks fun. It looks it looks really cool. I think it looks beautiful. And I think it adds more seating too so we're mm-hmm. gonna get over a hundred thousand people in yeah. the stands and i think you'll see you might see a few jitters for these players because they're so used to now after a full year playing against like what twenty five thousand people in the spaced out uh college football stadium you really the, like the noise the decibels you can't even recreate them no matter what they try to pump in mm-hmm. with artificial noise there's no substitute for actual people in the stands and I think, especially with a new coach, the excitement is going to be off the charts for that first uh, game against Louisiana. And I, me personally, I'm excited for the tailgating atmosphere. Now, getting all these opposing fans uh, into Austin, maybe even traveling up to, you know, if you want to go to Fayetteville, you got to go to Dallas for the mm-hmm. Red River rivalry. Um, it, and I'm excited for college game day. Too, to have oh. actual fans behind them because it was sad watching college game day with no fans last year. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be so much more exciting to have the fans back in the seat, especially with the new addition uh, to the stadium. It, we're going to have 112,000 uh, or 112,000 now, the new seating capacity. No way. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at um, from the construction. Is that more than the big house in Michigan? I'm not sure what they're what – they're, Because uh, I know they were known as like the biggest – Stadium. Yeah, but the Longhorns, uh, they with the new additions in the south end zone, they wanted to get 112,000 people in. Wow. And so whenever you factor that in with how electric the atmosphere was before that, I mean, I remember my freshman year before, the, like whenever the south end zone was just, you know, some, it was just literally all bleachers. And so now when you have this thing that's like official looking as hell, like, man, like it, the environment there is just going to take it to another level. And I'm so excited to experience it. I'm really excited for the incoming sophomores at UT, too, because their freshman year, they didn't really get to experience the full, like, impact of Texas football games. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air for everybody, but especially, like, those those freshmen, the class of 2024. are spoiled. I mean, it's because the UT just, they got here and then... They get this brand new 175 uh, million dollar project that's yeah. just now completed in the south. That's how much it was for the south end zone, 175 million dollars to renovate that, and then they did, and so now it looks and it looks great. You have to experience it. You got to see it. So that's the second biggest storyline for us: fans being back. Oh, also forgot to mention the new burn orange shade. Oh on the yeah, field. that's that's huge. Totally forgot to mention that the 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 midfield logo and the end zones. Texas fans. Oh, for years had been complaining that I'm so was, glad you said it the Pierce would have killed us yeah yeah <laughs> it was a it was a lighter shade yeah. of orange than fans wanted now it looks 
burnt and turnt. What do you think? Do you say. like it? Do you like oh, it more I burnt? It. I love the more. It looks like the, exactly how it should look. I mean, I, I sound like a like a sixty year old on Orange Bloods. That's like talking about tradition in Texas. Yeah. But I mean, I kind of feel them though. Like I agree. I think this is a much cleaner look. I think it's a great look. I'm excited to see it in person because all I've been able to see is Twitter pictures. Right. And I'm excited to really see it in person, so person so I can get the full impact of it right because i see like i think as a texas fan or as a texas student whatever like the level of orange like the bright orange it sort of bothers me because it's like it's not how it should be it's like tennessee right it's tennessee color it's it we should be the burnt orange and like whenever we go to almost like a brownish orange when and that's what it looks like they're doing now it's it's really exciting it's going to make a lot of those orange bloods you know those purists so happy and i and i'm and i'm and i'm I'm excited for them i I love it for them so if you're one of those listening to this just know i'm happy for you and i'm also happy for myself because i love the new (laughs) i I love the new burn orange hey y'all we're gonna take a quick break once again from brett and i talking y'all's ear off to bring you a quote from robert trevino of the one and O sports show on tstv and a rising senior at the university of texas he's going to be talking about the new stadium improvements to the DKR Texas Memorial Stadium. What are your thoughts on the new South End Zone project, the new shade of burnt orange on the field? And uh, yeah, what do you ex- and what do you expect for if you're going to go to? I don't know if you're going to go to games in person this upcoming year, but what do you expect of the atmosphere? Yeah, I, I will be there in person uh, as many as I can be. Uh, I think, I mean, with the South End Zone, I personally, when I heard that it was going to be in 2020. Um, was a little disappointed, but looking at how far they've come along, uh, basically it's pretty much all finished uh, and, and it's going to pretty much get a lot of, of the job done. And you're going to be able to see kind of the way that the, the new stadium is structured. So for me to be able to see that is going to be awesome, especially after last year with, with the COVID football, it just wasn't the same. Uh, so to get, I think we'll see, I, I mean, I don't know <laughs> with uh, some of the way that uh, COVID has kind of advanced, but I, I believe that we'll be back with a, a full capacity. Uh, so that's going to be exciting uh, to see. As far as like the burnt orange on the field, I've kind of a little bit been on the grass side of the debate for a little bit. And the whole grass AstroTurf thing is, I mean, it's bananas. Um, I'm more of a grass person, but I, I, I don't know. I think it's a good field. It's going to be tough to see the SEC logo on there one day a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, I mean, and that's another thing CDC is doing too, cutting these deals for these huge stadiums. I mean, you also look at uh, Moody Center. Uh, that that's one thing that's going to be huge. Uh, that that also kind of goes in line with the with the South End Zone. All right, y'all. Now that we heard from Robert, let's go over to Cami Griffin, the managing editor at Longhorns Wire, to talk about her excitement for 100% capacity at DKR Texas Memorial Stadium to talk to you about this season and to start off with the new stadium improvement. So Mm -hmm. Longhorn's new South end zone project should be ready to go by the start of the season. They've also redone the turf. Cammy, what are your thoughts on the new stadium improvements and how excited are you for fans to be back in the stands at hundred percent capacity? Yeah. Well, first, I guess I'll start with the fans and the hundred percent capacity. I was at several games last season. It just wasn't the same without that full stadium. Um, the environment, the noise level, just everything about going to a home game in Austin, Texas, obviously, uh, it wasn't the same. So I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, the full capacity. And I know everyone's excited about the Sark era. So I think there's there's just going to be a breath of fresh air. Everyone has optimism and hope surrounding the program again, rather than um, how the end of last season ended. So I'm looking forward to that. I think the field, the new turf looks great. I love the more true burnt orange color. I love the new font in the end zones. Uh, the south end zone expansion is looking great. I do think that will be ready by the time 
they have the season opener against Louisiana, but um, I think it looks great. And I, I, I know there's been kind of backlash with the uh, outline of the state of Texas behind the Longhorns lo logo uh, and in the middle of the field, I guess, per se. But uh, apparently you can only see that in certain lighting. I know it's somewhat still there. You could kind of see that uh, in the video that they posted either yesterday and today, I, I would say, with the new turf. But um, I, I like it. I think it's a cool little touch to it. Um, I think my favorite part of the new turf is probably the true burnt orange color, though. Third biggest storyline I think we need to talk about is the name, image, and likeness laws for, that are put in place now for college athletes. So if you haven't heard about these rules, basically it's allowing college athletes forever have been amateurs and have not been able to receive any financial compensation based off of their name, even though they bring in millions and millions of dollars for the university as evidenced by Texas football's new South End Zone project. Now, Texas athletes and athletes all over the country will be able to monetize their name, get sponsorships, get endorsements. So we got to talk about who are the most marketable guys on this Texas football team. That I wanted to talk about it, and I've been waiting on to do this. Um, I think the most marketable guy by far is going to be DeMarvian Overshawn because I don't know if you follow this guy or if you're friends with him on Snapchat. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast, you need to add DeMarvian Overshawn on Snapchat. Like his TikTok presence and just his Snapchat, it, they're hilarious. And so like as far as marketability goes, this guy literally, he posts everything he does. Like he literally is like, and he's agent zero, Mr. Wristbands, everything like that. Like, you know, you can tell whenever he's on the field, like you're like, oh, that's, that's DeMarvian. Like it's all those wristbands and you know who that is. And so as far as marketability goes, I think that's one of the stronger candidates, if not the most strongest candidate. So that is Texas senior linebacker. DeMarvion Overshown. I mean, I'm serious. Go look at Snapchat. It is it, it is funny. It, I literally I laugh almost every day. His TikTok is pretty funny. Too, yeah, from it's almost cringy to me, but it, it's 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 almost it's so it's so like cringy like that you could tell that he doesn't care. He's just having fun. Yeah, I'm like man, that's it's like that's ironic, so, right? It's like I mean, it's 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 cool to see. So I'm saying like if you want to go and get a good laugh and just like think you want to get like a good feel for the personality on this team. I think Overshawn is a good example of that, and it's just so much fun to watch. I think DeMarvion is on Cameo, which you can use for paid shout-outs. <laughs> um, I believe he's also done something with Last Stand Hats to get shirts and merchandise. Go check out his Twitter. Go check out Last Stand Hats on Twitter. I mean, they're publishing. Uh, they're dropping all this new merch for Agent Zero, as they call him, yeah. the arm bandit for all the for all the wristbands he wears up and down his arms. I mean, I've seen this dude come out on Snapchat like literally recording songs, in which he's like singing. <laughs> him and his, him and his friends from like his hometown are like singing and like rapping like on songs. And I'm like, dude, it's so hilarious. He could just he's he's got so much personality. So as far as like the NIL go, you can tell like why he's an easy target for like for people like that because you know he's he's personable. People want to know. People want to keep up with how he's doing. And, you know, and so for you have a, a sponsors that potentially want to give him money for that, it's it's easy to see why they want to do that. Another guy that I believe is very marketable and we've already talked about him in, in depth. So we're not going to uh, go as go as long on this guy. But Bijan Robinson, as we mentioned before, Texas running back, he just signed a partnership with Canes. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, he did. So he's with he's with Canes now, as is Spencer Rattler, OU quarterback. Bijan is also on Cameo for $150 a shout-out. Is someone paying $150 a shout-out from, from Bijan yet? Yes, someone <laughs> has. It was an OU fan, actually, ah, I believe. I believe <laughs> that's the funny thing about Cameo. Yeah, I believe <laughs> Bijan uh, got paid $150. For, I mean, he gets paid for every shout-out, but uh, for an OU fan uh, to, to give a shout-out there. But something that's really interesting to note here, 
Because someone asked Bijan about this at Big 12 Media Days and was like, you know, what's the justification for charging $150 for like a, sh- a personalized shout out? It's like, that it seems very steep. And Bijan said, it's not him that sets the price. It's Cameo oh. that sets the price, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. So that, if you want to talk about who you think is most marketable guy for this Texas football team, Cameo surely thinks it's B. John Robinson. I mean, if you're Cameo, you probably look at B. John Robinson and you look at, okay, and then you look at the Heisman odds that Vegas has. You're like, this guy has the potential to be a Heisman winning running back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, of course, we want this guy all over our website. And you just look at marketability. B. John Robinson, we talk about it. I mean, I've said it a million times. Reggie Bush comparisons, that's – you know, everyone wanted to be Reggie Bush growing up as far as marketability. Like, there were so many running backs. And so many, just me personally, like, just growing up playing football, there were so many people who just tried to emulate Reggie Bush. And Bajon Robinson sort of has that similar play style in which you just see those those highlight-level jukes and, like, level – you know, you're going to know who Bajon Robinson is, I think, and a lot more people will by the end of the year. And so that I think that cameo price, it might keep going on up. Yeah, very true. Bijan also just uh, from everything he said to the media and every, the way he carries himself on social media – Seems like a stand-up dude. No, oh, yeah. There's no off-field trouble with him whatsoever. I mean, he, he's got his head on square. He's all about football from everything I've heard uh, from inside the Texas program. So there's there's really no red flags with Bijan if you want to take him on as a, for a sponsorship. Another guy that I think is sneaky, one of the best marketable guys for Texas, is defensive lineman rising junior, I believe, Keandre Coburn. This dude is one of the funniest guys <laughs> I've ever covered. He said some funny stuff at the after the the bowl game press conference. Yes, right? he did. <laughs> He's a guy who, in, in a lot of times when you're in a press conference and you're talking to coaches and athletes, it's a lot of just like the usual cliches, and they keep it wrapped up, and right. they're not giving away much of their personality. Keandre Coburn, it's like you're just sitting in the living room with him, <laughs> hanging out and telling stories. I mean, he's a guy that I think everyone wants to be friends with. Um, he's also – and he backs that up with great play. Yeah, on he's the a field. really good player. Really good player, really good run stuffer uh, on this Texas football team. I think he's in, he's in line for a breakout year um, coming in as a junior – but he, I don't think he really has any deals yet. He, someone asked him about it at Big 12 Media Days, and I think he kind of said, like, I'm really just focused on football right now, and, like, I'll let that come later. So it seems like his mind is in the right spot focused yeah. on football. But I definitely think down the line, especially if, if he has a breakout season, he's going to be a guy that sponsors will be jumping all over. Yeah, and this, and this goes sort of into our next storyline. Um, I think Coburn is one of those players that we can look at at the end of the season that might be a guy that is going to be draft ready in NFL draft. Um, a guy that's, you know, the NFL teams are going to be looking at as a guy that can stuff the middle of their line and just stop the run because Texas is hoping that he can be really good at that. And so by the end of the year, um, whenever Coburn is probably, you know, up to his draft stock a little bit and everything like that, I think you're going to, you're right. You're just going to combine with that just awesome personality of his. Um, I think he's going to be in line for a lot of deals and he's going to be really marketable, especially with just how hilarious the dude is as well. Yeah. So those are our three candidates for the most marketable guys. Now we're going to talk about who is going to get, who are the NFL guys on this roster that are going to be in your lives for the next 10 years, not just the next two or three who you're going to be seeing on NFL Sundays after they play at Texas. Texas, obviously a team with great NFL pedigree they've got guys like earl thomas in the league they've got you know recent guys like devin duvernay uh malcolm roach malcolm brown uh, a lot of texas guys in the nfl and a lot of them 
oftentimes, I think in recent years, have had better NFL careers than they did college careers. And I think that's because Texas had a real coaching uh, talent development problem. But who are, who are some guys on this current roster? Talked about Keandre Coburn just now. Who are some other guys that you think? I think the number one guy that we could be looking at as a guy who could even be getting first-round buzz is DeMarvin Overshawn. I mean, the guy is a physical freak. He is one of the fastest players in the field while also being one of the tallest players in the field. And he was making plays all over the field last year. He had two interceptions, uh, two forced fumbles. He's, like I said, he's 6'4", 220. He checks every box. He has all the speed of a safety, and he can hit as hard as a linebacker. And if you can show that he's even able to stay with tight ends a little bit, and sort of just maybe show a little bit of development in his game because right now it just all looks raw. And so whenever you're going to watch Zero uh, play this year all over the field, if you're going to go to DKR and watch number Zero, trust me, you'll know who he is. You'll see his million armbands. Yes. Um, but whenever you go watch him, you'll be able to, what's going to pop out is just the sheer athleticism. And so whenever NFL teams are looking at that, I think they see the same thing and they look at the sheer athleticism. If, if he can prove that he can even just be okay in coverage and be, uh, you know, and maybe if, if he turns into being really good in coverage, like he defended seven passes last year, I think the sky is the limit for Overshawn. He has a lot of untapped potential and upside that we don't even know about yet. And you see those pass coverage skills because DeMarvion is a former safety. He was recruited as a four star safety in the class of 2018, eventually transitioned to Will linebacker, so weak side linebacker. Uh, for this Texas team had a, really a breakout season last year as all big 12 honorable mention performer and you really see the safety instincts he has in covering tight ends over the middle of the field and covering out routes from slot ride receivers he has the ability to both step up in the run game and make a big hit while also covering uh, he's got the athleticism to cover pretty much anybody else on the field now me personally I don't know if DeMarvion Overshawn is the the biggest NFL product on like in most NFL potential on this team, because I think he's got to add a little bit of size to his frame. He's still got that safety body a little bit. He's six, four, but he's pretty lanky. He's one of those tweeners that you look at as like a guy that should be playing in between safety and linebacker. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Uh, and I don't think it helped that he had off season shoulder surgery. So he missed a lot of time in the weight room uh, with new strength coach, Tori Becton there and I think that might hurt him a little bit he might be a little rusty but he's got all the athleticism in the world and he he really flashes some highlight plays it comes to mind West Virginia game where you know he shoots up the gap his helmet flies off and he sacks a West Virginia quarterback in the red zone um, he, he's he's definitely like we talked about one of the most marketable guys on the team but also one of the most talented and I think one of the one of the best success stories from the class of 2018 recruiting class I certainly think so as well just especially considering last year he was such a bright spot whenever things were go, going really frustratingly for this Texas football team and you know it, despite all the frustration going on you still had number zero you know running around making plays you know it, it didn't matter what the score was his motor is at all times just running all over the field you know what I mean and so to see uh, that out of one of a really good player that you have on defense who is just has the most athleticism in the world seeing that drive um, and that motor from him is really exciting especially whenever you talk about his potential uh, but you mentioned that he's not the uh, the most exciting guy that you have uh, as far as maybe NFL draftable guys on the Texas roster who do you think that you might be most excited for to see playing on Sundays for the next 10 years I think the guy on this Texas Bowl team that's going to be have an extensive NFL career is defensive lineman Alfred Collins he is going into his sophomore year 
pitcher for this Texas football team. He is six foot five, three hundred pounds, and he is an athletic three hundred pounds. The play that jumps out at everyone is uh, the Colorado game last year in the bowl game. He reads the running back screen perfectly, fades back to cover the pass, and makes uh, an extended interception, hands overhead, just extremely athletic play. He flashed a lot his freshman year, didn't play every down because he was a freshman, but I think he's going to have a huge jump as a sophomore, and I see him being a three-and-done guy for this Texas football team. I don't think he's going to be around his senior year because I think he's going to the NFL, and he's got – First round talent, but it's about making first round production, which he didn't have in his freshman year. Right. I mean, and granted, in his freshman year, he was behind a couple of guys like Taquan Graham, who ended up getting drafted in the fifth round, and a guy who was a really good player um, as far as stopping the run for Texas. But yeah, like you said, Alfred Collins is really exciting. It's all that size and all that athleticism combined. Um, and whenever you have teams that we're going against, we talked about it in the schedule episode. Um, prior to this one that there's a lot of strong running games in the big 12 and so to have a guy like Alfred Collins who can take up space in the middle and also not just take up space he can just also beat the guy in front of him with how good he is with his hands and just how athleticism he is he's sort of just like a dancing bear with how big he is and like the athleticism showed with the interception that you showed or that you talked about um so it's really important to go against uh, teams that have strong rushing attacks like a la Oklahoma or you know any other uh, strong rushing attack that we'll see in the Big 12. It's important to have guys like Alfred Collins. And so if he if he flashes, I think he's going to have a big deal um, with the success that Texas has on the field. The strength of this Texas team is going to be in that defensive line, I think, because you got Keandre Coburn and Alfred Collins, who I think are the two two of the best NFL prospects that Texas has. Both great run stoppers. I think Alfred Collins can be more of a pass rusher than Keandre Coburn is. But you've also got Tavondre Sweat in the middle, another 350-pound guy. you got Vernon Broughton, who a lot of people are excited about, coming in as a redshirt freshman this year. Uh, I think defensive line is going to be an area of strength on this football team. And I think they got that confidence, and they know they're kind of the best unit that Texas has. And it showed last year with their run defense. They were pretty good in run defense last year. There's a lot of top running backs. Yeah, I think so too. And it just the, there's another year of development uh, for Alfred Collins in a full offseason uh, with the defensive coordinator who I would like to think that Texas fans is, would like to think is superior than the last one that they had um, because I know just the level of frustration with the defensive coordinator of the last regime was really, really frustrating. And so now we have a defensive coordinator um, in Kwiatkowski that we are expected uh, who, who has put guys in the NFL. And so when you have guys like Alfred Collins who have all the size and the athleticism necessary uh, to make NFL teams happy, you have a player or you have a coach that can put them in the right scheme and in the right position and put them on the field at the right times to really show that and to really develop them and to really just make them into better players. I think Texas fans should really just keep an eye out for Alfred Collins and just make sure – that they're keeping an eye on, like I said, because it's going to be a big part of the team uh, this year, just being that that ability to stop the run. And let's keep it on the defensive side of the ball. The last guy I want to talk about as a potential NFL dude is senior cornerback Deshaun Jameson. Now, this guy is an NFL prospect, both at corner and also as a kick returner. You'll remember last year versus Oklahoma State, he had that huge kick return that really changed the game for Texas. He's electric back there, the shark as he's known as. He's also a sneaky, really marketable guy, I think, that we didn't mention before, but he's launching a, a shark clothing brand. Um, and I, there was a tweet that came out from Hook'em Headlines that I wanted to kind of read off. So Deshaun Jameson's numbers since week four of the 2019 season, he's got 12 pass breakups, three interceptions, 
3.5 tackles for loss, a forced fumble and a fumble recovery, a kick return TD, zero passing touchdowns allowed in 2020. Very impressive. When you look at guys, because we're talking about NFL already here, um, I think guys like um, Deshaun Jameson, I think – did I say his name right? Yeah, sorry. Deshaun Jameson. When you look at guys like Deshaun Jameson, these are guys that NFL teams covet and love because he fills more than one purpose, right? You talk about his corner his corner numbers and his ability as a corner, but he's a special teams, you know, God. And so whenever he gets to the NFL or a team that's potentially looking to draft him in the NFL, they know they're, they know they're going to get a guy that's going to be able to help them on multiple facets, like in, in multiple facets of the game. It's not just defense and being able to stay in front of your guy. Whenever you kick to him on, on punts and kick returns, he's a threat that you have to account for every single time. And unless he has, like, a breakout, breakout season this year, I couldn't see him really getting drafted higher than the higher than the third to fourth round, right. fifth round range. But especially for guys that are drafted in that, that range of the draft, they've got to be good special teams performers because that's how you make NFL rosters nowadays. And Deshaun Jameson has that. So I think he's, he's in for a pretty lengthy NFL career. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. It's just like he's so great at, at special teams and is just a, like a, a special team specialist. And you combine that uh, with the ability at corner, I think he's going to make an NFL team very happy someday for the next 10 years. Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a quick break from Brett and I talking about Zeroff to bring you a quote from Jeff Ketchum of orangebloods.com covering all things Texas athletics. He's going to be talking with us about Texas Longhorn football players who have the best chance for a lengthy NFL career. Uh, We basically, on our podcast, we're trying to give, like, Texas fans, who's going to be in your life? for the next eight years instead of the next two to three. So that means who is, who are some guys who have potential for a solid NFL career? No, I like it. Are there any Texas players like three or so who you think um, are set up to be drafted and potentially have um, rather lengthy NFL careers? I know you mentioned Deshaun Jameson or any others you, you see on this Texas roster right now. Yes. Hold on. I'm getting something out for you. This is special for you. Nobody has ever seen this before. I am certifying this on your show. I'm the president of the Hudson Card Fan Club. Okay? (laughs) This is my certificate that states as much. I think Hudson, look, I I really like Casey Thompson. Mm-hmm. I do. A lot of times I get to talking about Hudson Card and it. some people feel like I'm making it a referendum on some disbelief I have in Casey Thompson. If Hudson Card were not on this roster, I think Casey Thompson is an easy guy to fall in love with. He's insanely talented. Like, I think Texas from a talent standpoint, has an upgrade at the quarterback position regardless of who the starter is. Now, will they be immediately better than fourth-year starter Sam Ellinger? Ugh, it's, tough to, it's tough to make that call. But I believe when these guys are done, they will both be at a higher level, let's just say in terms of passing efficiency. Whereas Sam Ellinger had a hard time ever getting out of the 150-ish range 
I think these are guys that can go beyond that. And when you go beyond that, suddenly you're competing for all Big 12 honors. And suddenly, if you've got a quarterback competing for all Big 12 honors, you're in the Big 12 championship game, and it's on. Hudson Card's the most talented NFL quarterback prospect that Texas has had since Vince Young. From an arm standpoint, I've covered Texas football and recruiting since Shea Morenz's his freshman year back in the early to mid nineties, 93, 94. So, and he was once upon a time, the number one quarterback in the country all these years ago, 30 years ago. God, that makes me feel old. Uh, Hudson card's got the best arm and, and his arm talent allows him to make throws that physically Chris Sims couldn't make physically Vince can't make Colt couldn't make. There's a reason why Sam Ellinger in the lead up to his NFL pro day basically said he wears Hudson card under ruse because he would watch that kid in practice, make a throw and say, why can't I do that? At some point, the supernova is going to be in control of this Texas offense. Just a matter of when and not if in my mind. So when we talk about a guy that I think who's going to be in your life in 2030, I'm going to be massively disappointed and surprised if Hudson Card's not still playing in the NFL when that happens. You don't have guys on the former staff throwing out the name Aaron Rodgers loosely without thinking that that guy has a chance to be something moving on. I think Jordan Whittington's got a chance to be in the NFL for a long time. He's got to stay healthy. If he can, he's going to play for a long time. Jared Wiley is a guy that I think is going to have an NFL career, but is going to be relevant in 2030. I would, I don't know about that. And I don't know if there's anybody on the defensive side of the ball that I will absolutely say that about. There's not a definitive first round talent on this team to my eyes at this point, outside of Bijan Robinson and potentially Hudson card in time. Part of the problem with the program right now is it lacks a lot of guys that if I said, Hey, pick a guy next year, that's going to go on the first two days. There's nobody that you can absolutely say, and then you can get yourself into the territory where you're like, well, Maybe Coburn, maybe Jamison, maybe DeMarvion Overshone could work their way into that type of category. But for right now, all these dudes are third-day dudes. And if they're third-day dudes, they're not really the answers to the question that you're asking for. I think a lot of guys from Texas in recent years, at least, have been third-day type of guys. But then they almost go on to have better NFL careers than they did Texas careers. I think that's kind of an indictment on the development no doubt the coaching staff guys like Deshaun Elliott um, for Baltimore right now. He's, he was a third day guy, but is locked in as a starter. Quandre Diggs yeah. is another guy like that. So I definitely could see some of those third day guys. Maybe some of those guys get the, their talent developed a little more and then figure it out at the next level. And then if you said five years, I think there's 10 guys we could mention mm-hmm. when you say eight, Now we're talking about who on this roster can defeat NFL odds. Who's going to come on and have more than just an average career that sees them play three, four, five seasons. It's about who's going to be such a next level NFL talent that 
like you mentioned, is going to be mentioned in the same breath with a Quandre Diggs, who might play a decade and has got a second contract that sets him up for life. That's kind of the eight-year question, right? Yeah. Who on this team gets a second contract that sets up his entire family potentially for the rest of their lives? You know, again, this Very is a program that needs – they need more players to do that, good players. And there's just too much unproven stuff in the program right now. And now that was our fourth – storyline is is the nfl draft prospects now we put it off long enough it's time to talk about the quarterbacks so texas for the first time since 2018 has a quarterback battle uh, sam ellinger four-year starter is now a part of the indianapolis colts organization as a seventh round draft pick uh sam ellinger a guy you know we talked about it on a previous episode but i think was really one of one of the best quarterbacks to step through UT on the 40 acres. I mean, the numbers back it up. The record books back it up. He's second in almost every major passing category behind Colt McCoy. Um, but even more than that, it was kind of just his leadership and the grit he had as the quarterback. And he really kept Texas in a lot of games yeah. last year. And not only that, but he also set the expectation for playing quarterback at the University of Texas. And so before, because we talked about it in the episode before, before that, there really, we could sort of had lost since Colt McCoy what it meant to play quarterback at the University of Texas. And, you know, just the ability uh, to go in and win big games. And so he sort of set uh, that expectation. And these are big shoes to fill. And what is the job for Steve Sarkeesian is it's going to be his ability to decide which candidate out of Casey Thompson and Hudson Card is going to be able to best fill those shoes uh, from number 11. And these are two four-star quarterbacks uh, who are both supremely talented. I mean, Casey Thompson came into the Alamo Bowl last year. It um, was 8 of 10 for 170 yards and four touchdowns. And Hudson Card uh, was really highly thought of coming out of, or coming out of high school. And he only attempted three passes uh, all of last year. But, you know, you know I just think going into this, this battle – Thompson definitely has the experience uh, advantage, but this is going to go deep into the fall. And this is going to be something that I think whenever Sarkeesian makes his decision, I think he's going to be sure of it because he's just going to – he's getting all of this information since the spring. And I think because of that, these quarterbacks are also making themselves better as well. Yeah, iron sharpens iron for sure. Steve Sarkeesian mentioned it at Big 12 Media Days how he didn't think 15 practices in the spring was enough to – really give one guy the nod this this battle's going to go deep into fall camp and Sarkeesian told the guys they need to make it hard on him so a little bit of backstory about both these guys I know Brett you just touched on it but Casey Thompson has been the primary backup of Sam Ellinger for three years has not really played much except in some mop-up duty but a lot of times because in 2020 every game was so close he didn't really have the opportunity to get on the field while Ellinger was playing Casey Thompson, I think, showed Texas fans what could be in store in the Alamo Bowl. He came in and lit it up with a great deep ball. He had a lot of juice. He really revitalized that Texas offense that I think got a little stagnant towards the end of Ellinger's tenure uh, just because I think Ellinger was kind of you know hurt and, and struggling with his deep ball a little bit. Uh, but I, what I was really impressed about with Casey Thompson is – he was still looking to throw when the play break broke down. Like Casey Thompson's the guy who is a great he, – he thrives when a play breaks down. He's a great improviser. And I think earlier in his career when he would get mop-up duty, he would 
if his first read wasn't open, he was just tucking it and running. Like he was just he he was like a chicken with his head cut off. He just had to get out of there and get and, and show off his athleticism. But in the Alma Bowl, he really showed you that okay, I can make the first guy miss in the pocket, roll out, still make a throw on the money. Hudson Card, on the other hand, has only been with Texas for a year, and it was a COVID year, so it's been uh, kind of a rocky start for him. But really highly recruited, higher higher recruited than Casey Thompson was. Casey Thompson coming out of Oklahoma, Hudson Card coming out of Lake Travis nearby in Austin, Texas. A guy that Herman was really high on, and Sarkeesian's also really high on. And I think in the spring game, neither guy really separated themselves from the pack. Right. I think in the spring game, what we saw was sort of what's indicative of, of the the quarterback battle. And in total, is that these team or these quarterbacks are both really, really close in terms of level of talent, and that's why it's taking so long to make a decision. We're still, we're about to, it's about to be August um, at the time we're recording this, and you know, there's still no indication whatsoever um, as to who's going to win this job. It's 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 really anyone's guess as to who can win it. It's you can make an educated one, um, but really no one knows. If I said Casey Thompson started, I could be completely wrong in three weeks because I have no confidence in either one. I don't I have no confidence in who in whichever one is going to take over the starting role. And I think either one, um, and like you said, that we saw in the spring game, we really didn't see that separation in terms of just like, you know, this guy is clearly the front runner. I think like you said earlier and what I sort of said earlier is that this level of closeness and, um, and competition makes them not only better, but um, sort of how we talked about in the first episode is he's going to need both of these guys. You know, like if you said, like it's college football. And especially with if Hudson Card was to, to, was to win um, the starting job, like we don't know the sort of durability these guys have. And it's why we talk about Sam Ellinger and how much we appreciated it is because we knew that he would put his, he would put his nose in the ground and would take any hit that he wanted to, that, that he could take and he would get back up. We don't know if these quarterbacks, that's a talent. We don't know if these quarterbacks have that sort of durability and that sort of talent to be able to do that. And it's just going to be interesting to see just how they can fill the role that 11 left. The worst case scenario for Texas is that they pick a starter and the other guy immediately transfers because you need, and I think that's what Steve Sarkeesian is telling his guys, because no matter who he picks, like they're probably going to be rotating a little bit in the season as they still try to figure out who the guy is. Now you're playing a team in Louisiana where you can't really be rotating QBs all that much. you got to quickly pick a guy, but at some point in the season, they're going to need both. I mean, you talk about it there, and that was Sam Ellinger's one of his best attributes is he's so tough, yeah. so physically tough, mentally tough, uh, you name it. These new quarterbacks are unproven, so, I mean, both of them, I think, will be on a bit of a shorter leash than Ellinger was. Um, they'd let Ellinger throw the ball around because he'd proven that he, he can't, even if he was making some mistakes, he'd proven that he's a, he's a competitor and he's a leader and you need to let him uh, keep getting those throws in. Casey Thompson, Hudson Card, both going to be guys, I think, that are going to have a bit of a shorter leash. And I just hope that the worst thing about being in a quarterback competition, in my opinion, is you're looking over your shoulder after every first mistake. And I really hope that whether it's Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, that Sarkeesian gives him a little breathing room. Because especially with an inexperienced young quarterback, um, a Card more so than Thompson, there's really a shot to the confidence. Right. I mean, and with this season, especially like with the expectations coming in with the new coach, like we got to get things right right away. 
the one good thing that they can fall back on, both of these quarterbacks, is that this offense, I think, regardless of who wins it, is going to be ran through Bijan. I think um, regardless of who wins this, I think the quarterback is going to have that fallback option of knowing, okay, if I'm not so much, if I'm not excellent this game, we could still win a football game by handing it to the guy that's in the backfield with me. And I think that's a comforting thing for either both of them because, like you said, it's, it's awful knowing – um, especially for a freshman like Hudson Card, you know, if I mess up, the guy over my shoulder, you know, he's been here for three years, he's going to take my spot. You know what I mean? But both of these guys have uh, sort of a perfect uh, backup plan, I guess, if you could call it that. And Bajan Robinson, who I think is going to be the bell cow and is going to be the focal point of the offense this year. Very true. I think if I had to, if I had to guess right now, I think Casey Thompson has to take the first snaps of the season because he's been around longer, he's got more experience in college football I know both of them are new to this offense because it's an entirely new coaching staff but still Casey Thompson's had the opportunity for three years now to learn behind Sam Ellinger um, and I think you'll see him start off the season but after that I mean Card is a guy who's too talented to sit for multiple years yeah so that's the thing I just I, I don't I don't know um, what I think it's logic tells me that Casey Thompson is is the starter coming in, just like you said, with the experience and the years that he has and what he's already shown. But, you know, this is a new regime. We have no idea how exactly they handle these quarterback battles. We'll have a, And after this year, we'll have sort of like a, a better idea of how they handle these things. But right now, that's the thing. We, that was, it's the unknown. We have no idea how it's going to go. But I think for Texas fans going into it, I don't think that's any reason to get discouraged. I really think it's a reason to get excited about it because we have two quarterbacks here um, who are really good. So I think regardless of who wins this quarterback competition, I think it's important to let Longhorn fans know I think Texas will be fine at the quarterback position. It's not a quarterback battle in which we're struggling here to find one of them that's good. It's not like Baylor. Right. It's not like a Baylor thing. That's important to say because, like, Baylor, they have a, a quarterback battle right now with four different quarterbacks, and they're just trying to find one who can get them down the field. I think Texas knows that Casey Thompson and both – Casey Thompson and Hudson Card are both capable of getting them to where they want to go. It's just which one can. And so that's the comforting thing for Texas is that both of these quarterbacks, I think, are capable of coming in. And at the very least, they're not going to cause – they're gonna, not going to make this team lose games. I think they're going to help them win. And that's the biggest thing for both these guys is to be a game manager. I know a lot of times with a quarterback, you say game manager has a negative connotation. But – Really, you just can't be turning the ball over and putting your team in bad situations. And I think Casey Thompson's a guy who has a little bit more of that gunslinger mentality and could be a little more turnover prone. Hopefully now with all this time in the program, he's gotten a little more uh, consistent and um, still hasn't lost the big playability he has, but is also taking care of the football a little better. But it's an exciting time for Texas in the quarterback room. First time since 2018, like we said, that they have a quarterback competition. Um, and it'll be it's going to be a battle that plays out deep into fall camp. Hey, y'all, we wanted to take another break from Brett and I talking all zero off to bring you a quote from Stephen Wagner, former Daily Texan associate editor and football beat writer in the fall of 2020. He's going to be talking about his concern with the QB competition. Your biggest concern for this Texas team going into this season. Definitely the quarterback situation. You know, I know we were going to talk about that a little bit later, but, you know, I think, you know, you just look at everything on paper and it's pretty apparent that, you know, there are a lot of question marks surrounding, surrounding the quarterback. I remember I heard Mac Brown say once, you know, if you have two great quarterbacks, then you have a really good problem. You've got two great quarterbacks, but if you've got two, you know, kind of like mediocre or middle of the road quarterbacks, 
you don't really have a quarterback and that's a really big problem uh you know we've seen we've seen teams try to platoon quarterbacks in the past you know you get so and so out there for uh, you know a series or two and then you put the other guy in there for a series or two and then you know end of a very close game you know coach has to make a decision you know which guys he's going to go with and sometimes it'll be the same and sometimes it'll be consistent and uh and sometimes there'll be um sometimes they'll be rotating quarterbacks on a week-to-week basis just depending on the matchup and historically um you know can you think of an instance where platooning quarterbacks has really really worked outside of lsu in 2011 where you know the quarterbacks were probably throwing maybe like 12 to 15 passes a game um you know and you know in in that situation the quarterback you know literally did not matter because that in that team was so predicated on running the ball and playing conservative offensively and you know just playing good defense good special teams and hanging on to win the game um you know platooning quarterbacks does not work you know it doesn't work at the doesn't work at the college level it doesn't work at the nfl level it might work a little bit at the high school level depending on the size of the high school that you go to but platooning quarterbacks is difficult yeah, well, it is really, time, really hard to win. The last time Texas platoon quarterbacks, I think in this decade, it was Case McCoy, David Ash a little bit, and then it was Tyrone Soups, Gerard Hurd. Those were two platooning quarterback situations, and neither of them really led to anything for Texas. And don't, and don't forget about uh, Sam Ellinger and Shane Bouchel yes. in, uh, in 2017, too. And, you know, like I've been saying, what has the last decade been for Texas? Extremely disappointing. You know, one season of more than 10 wins have lost at least four games in every single year. Only one appearance in the Big 12 championship game, only one only one appearance in a New Year's six bowl game. You know, because outside of that 2018 season, you could argue that the best season Texas had had was that 2012 season where they went nine and four. David Ash was the quarterback and uh, and Texas won the Alamo Bowl. And I think they finished like, you know, top 15 in the country or something like that. You know, it, the, anytime that, you know, you're talking about a nine and four season being arguably your second best season in the last decade for Texas. I mean, you know, that's, that's not good news for any coach, quite frankly. And so now that we've talked about all the exciting things that we have going on in the backfield, like Bajan Robinson and this exciting new uh, quarterback competition that we have on the horizon, I think it's time to start start talking about sort of the more unexciting things uh, on the Texas football team and things that we think might be, you know, there are things to, to look forward to or to look at um, going into the season for Texas, but it's also something that's important to know going in. And one of the things that I've talked about a lot and within the first two episodes and that Carter's also said is that the secondary coming in is unproven. And so what do you think about the secondary and just sort of, you know, the unprovenness of it? On paper, this should be Texas' best defensive backfield that they've had in years. They've got a senior-heavy rotation back there. They had the best recruiting class for defensive backs that they've had in school history in 2018, and a lot of those guys haven't really panned out. Caden Stearns, obviously an NFL draft pick. Um, He had a really good freshman year had a lot of injuries and some inconsistent plays. Last two years, decided to bounce early for the NFL. Jalen Green was a starting cornerback last year who transferred to Mississippi State. So you've only got a few guys left from that 2018 class. Um, on paper, like I said, you've got all this veteran leadership, so you should be solid back there. But it's a lot of guys who have been relatively inconsistent. So, I mean, if you just go you go by it, B.J. Foster – who we talked about a little bit earlier. 
in, in in a previous episode. B.J. Foster was a former five-star safety along with Caden Stearns, but has really had an inconsistent career with Texas. He's still got all the natural talent in the world, but he hasn't really been able to put it all together. I just saw a stat that he allowed 70% completion percentage in coverage last year. Seven out of ten passes that he's defending, they're getting caught. Uh, B.J. Foster, he has a lot of highlight plays with big hit sticks, but he also has times like versus Texas Tech last year when they had that big run to open up a 15-point lead with three minutes remaining. Or versus Oklahoma. Or versus <laughs> Oklahoma. I don't know if you remember that tackle attempt. I think B.J. Foster was involved, if you remember that C.D. Lamb highlight. Yeah. Whenever he sort of tried to tackle him with just his shoulder, and it was just like – and him along with like five other Longhorns. He has a, he has a tendency to do that for sure. Uh, he also – it's worth mentioning he – he was reported to have quit on the Texas football team at the beginning of 2020 because he was unhappy with his playing time during the UTEP game. Was obviously came back to the team, now was on the team uh, now. But he's fighting for a starting spot with Brendan Schooler, who is a former wide receiver for Texas. And it, you got a former five-star safety recruit and you've got a former wide receiver. And if you don't have a clear-cut starter between those guys – uh, what does that say about your five-star safety? Right, and I'm and what concerns me the most about the secondary is the thought of the injury bug. Because if this if secondary is bit by the injury bug even a little bit, I think they can be in really bad shape. Because we have guys uh, like Josh Thompson. We talked about it earlier. He's a four-star recruit coming out of college, out of high school, excuse me, and he was really, really high, well, high, well thought of coming out of high school. And this is a guy who is maybe just not lived up to expectations in terms of being able to stick with guys and just even just being able to stop completions from happening. And so Texas, what they really need is these four-star recruits like you're talking about, just these highly recruited guys to start playing like it. And it's that new and it's that new coaching staff that they have that gives them that hope because the thing with Herman, and we talked about it earlier, is his weakness was sort of getting guys here and then not being able to develop them enough. And mm -hmm. so we're going to see if this, if this new coaching regime can get their hands on maybe guys that are, are even from the Herman era and maybe even make them into players that they weren't before. They're, we might see like the play styles change tremendously, and that could be a, a really good thing or it could be a really scary thing. I think the best guy in the secondary is cornerback Deshaun Jameson. We read off uh, his stats it, before. It, you know, it, The numbers speak for themselves since about the middle of 2019. He's really blossomed as the cornerback. You got Josh Thompson, who, like you talked about, has been slightly disappointing um, at times, but he's a great leader on this team, which Steve Sarkeesian has, has said multiple times. And he shows flashes. He showed, showed a lot of flashes last year. I mean, you got to remember, he didn't really play much his first two years with the program. Now, as a senior, uh, he has a lot more experience from last year. And then another battle to watch is at the spur nickelback position. So kind of the fifth defensive back that plays a lot in the slot covering wide receivers. Uh, it's 2018 recruit, former four-star, Anthony Cook, who is now a senior, and junior Chris Adamora. Both these guys are uber-talented, very athletic. Anthony Cook has not really lived up to the lofty expectations that he had, much like a lot of guys on Texas' roster so far. Uh, but he is fighting to start in his last year. And he shows flashes, especially in the Baylor game, watching him last year. He got, he's got great football instincts, and, which I really like to see. Chris Adamora also is a guy who shows highlight ability. Um, it'll be interesting to see who wins this job, and I think they'll both rotate uh, time. But Anthony Cook, you know, he was 
he's had a bit of a rocky start. Like at one point he was in the transfer portal. At what point he tweeted, I will never play football for Texas again. Um, so hopefully he's got a n- fresh new start with this new coaching staff. And Steve Sarkeesian's worth noting, mentioned that he's one of the best athletes on this Texas team. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's important to, to note again, um, just like we talked about earlier, the Texas team is going to go against some prolific offenses this year, passing offenses and Brock Purdy and Lincoln Riley and, and Spencer Rattler. You're just going to see a lot, a lot, a lot of high-powered um, passing offenses this year. So it's going to be vital that Texas gets these this production from guys like Anthony Cook to come in and stay and stay with these uber-quick guys that are in the slot. Um, because Texas is going to, like I said, they're going to see some real talent on the offensive side of the football this year. So it's vital um, that they figure out what's going on before this thing gets started. Hey, y'all, we wanted to take a quick break from Brett and I talking y'all's ear off to bring you a quote from Jeff Ketchum, once again, of orangebloods.com. He's going to be talking about his expectations this year for the Texas secondary. To a podcast you did with Anwar Richardson, your colleague at Orange Bloods, and you were really talking about how the Texas defense hasn't really been all that great for the past you know, decade, eight years or so. And a large part of that to me is because the secondary play has been suspect at best. They've got a lot of seniors out there this year. Uh, former class of 2018 recruits when Texas had that that text uh, that um really good recruiting class for defensive backs. Uh, what are kind of your expectations for some of those guys? And do you think this is a group that can kind of propel Texas to the next level in the secondary? Kind of, yes. By the way, thank you for listening to our YouTube video cast or the podcast, however that may have come across. Um, Look, the corners, I think Texas feels pretty good about. And I think that, you know, you think about they went after Caleb Evans, the kid from Tulsa that goes ends up going to Missouri, in part because I think they thought he was the type of talent that could compete for a starting spot. But Outside of that, they're really confident in their corners. I think that, you know, Deshaun Jameson is a guy that had first team all big 12 this year. I think a bit of a surprise for me, not as a return guy, but that he got that kind of street cred coming into this season uh, as a corner is a bit of a surprise, but I think he's got third round NFL draft type upside. And look, if he had a great year, maybe even better than that, he's a bit smallish. So you know, that would hamstring him a little bit in terms of his draft status. But he's a guy that I think could, could be one of the Big 12's best corners this season. Josh Thompson is a guy that just needs to stay healthy. And every defensive coordinator that he's ever had has loved him. And you could make a, a case that there were times last season when he flashed and performed as well as anybody on the roster in the secondary. It's got to be more consistent. I think he is in a weird way the Sam Ellinger of the secondary. I've at his best, you know that Josh Thompson can be one of the best players in the Big 12, but he hasn't been an all-conference type player. And a lot of that just has to do with the fact that week in and week out, it's hard to set your watch to just what Josh Thompson will show up. But every day in practice, this guy wins his coaches over. The question for me is what happens at safety? They've got pieces of the puzzle that I think can play anywhere in the country. B.J. Foster, what the hell happens with that guy? What, what could we possibly establish for a set of expectations for him? I, I don't know. I don't know what's fair. 
I don't know what is within the realm of reality. And I kind of feel like that's kind of the case with all of the safeties. So Texas, you know, if you think about the spine of your defense, you're talking about your interior defensive lineman, your middle linebacker, and your safeties. At the back end of the spine of the Texas defense, there are legitimate question marks right now that don't have definitive answers. That's the why that that will define for me, I think, what just how good this Texas defense can be. The the defensive line is the heartbeat of this defense, especially up front in the interior. They could lose Keandre Coburn, and a guy like Tavondre Sweat and Alfred Collins would hold up maybe even better. Like they're deep. They could sustain an injury there. We know that they've been desperate for help at linebacker, and we have to see how those pieces play out. But they haven't added anything to the safety room, really. So what does the spine of the defense look like? We know the first layer is really good. Everything else is a question mark, and those safeties, I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, and if 7 is borderline all conference in the big 12 texas doesn't have a safety that you'd give a seven to right now that's got to change who is the million dollar question that i don't have an answer to and i don't know if the coaches completely know yet they're going to be mixing and matching these guys and trying to find the combination that that fits best with them and if that means they're deeper at at nickel for instance and maybe that means josh thompson gets a move I think everything's on the table at this point. And real quickly before we move on, I want to say that the DBU argument that was made very famous. In we 20- ain't DBU. We, we need to know, say we, it. We're not DBU. We, I, we need to stop making shirts and pretending like we are. I, I, it annoys me to no end. Like the LSU, I remember the LSU thing a couple years ago, and that thing was the most frustrating thing of all time considering that we wore the DBU shirts before the game, and then we just ended up getting absolutely torched by Joe Burrow for four quarters. And it's like, <laughs> dude, it's like – just just look at just have some feel you know what i mean just like have some feel for the level of talent that's on that roster versus this one and it's like you know like it, it's just embarrassing really and like this, this is not dbu and this it, potentially like maybe we can be one day but i think right now this, that's got to be a moniker that stopped yeah so there's about six schools who really like to throw on the dbu claim it's texas florida lsu ohio state miami and south carolina probably alabama too yeah alabama could probably oh, yeah. be in there uh, I, I would say Alabama's got more of a claim right now than Texas does. Oh, yeah. uh, Alabama was not in this research I did. Um, but basically, I, w- I went back and looked at the draft picks from, uh, in, in, from defensive backs in the 21st century. So that's now 21 years of drafting. Texas is the lowest with 19. They've had six first-round picks. DBU. Florida has 25. LSU has 27. Ohio State, 32. Miami 23, South Carolina 20. Also, past defense rankings over the past five years. Do you think Texas has ever broke? Would you guess Texas has ever broke 50 in past defense? In the last 10 years? In the last last five five years. years. No. And you'd be correct on that because it's 106th, 125th, 110th, 108th, and 99th. DBU. It's got to stop. It's embarrassing. You can't even. You can't be, you can't claim to be DBU if your secondary is actively a weakness in your in your defense. You know what I mean? Like this is not even a strength, and it hasn't been a strength for a decade, in my opinion. Like it's it's been so long since we, I mean we've had guys come in here like Holden Hill or 
whatever NFL guys that are in the NFL right now that, you know, are probably better in the NFL than they were in college. Deshaun Elliott's one of them Exactly, precisely. I mean, but, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't pretend if that's going to be the case that Texas is a place where you're going to continue and just become that guy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just become clear that Texas has not become the place for a DB to go um, and to make himself into a first-round talent. No. Not not at all. So hopefully this is I mean, this is the year for Texas secondary. All these seniors, if they want to go to the NFL, they got to show out this year. Very important season for the Texas secondary. Another storyline we want to follow is who are listeners? Who are the feel good guys on this team? Who are the guys, excuse me, that you want to root for? Um, and I think Texas has quite a bit of those this year. Yeah, I think so too. And I, we did the uh, we had the research in front of us, and one guy that we didn't even think about was Troy Meyer, and that's a guy who tore his ACL after the lofty expectations, all the things that we heard in the fall. Um, and he's expected to come in and start immediately day one. Mm-hmm. And so after hearing all those good things. Um, you know, that's got to be a, a tough journey for a player, especially that was a freshman. Um, and so to see this guy come in um, as, you know, uh, with another with another year under his belt after, um, you know, after the ACL injury last year, to see the rehab and the way that's going uh, and that to, to come back this year, if he's able to be productive, that's going to be a really good feel-good story for Troy Meyer. People forget that. I think it's pronounced Omiri. Omiri? Is it? I hope it's, I hope not. I don't know. <laughs> if if Omiri is, I was, gonna, I was actually like, there's, it's, listeners, I want y'all to know, this is on my Google search. Oh, like, oh, the, his last name and then pronunciation. Oh, really? I'm looking, it's and so, so I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I've been, I've been looking and there's like, it changes. There's different pronunciations. So I, let's say Troy. Let's, let's go with Troy. Let's do it. Troy. That, that, that sounds better. People forget that Troy was listed ahead of Brennan Eagles on the depth chart last year in fall camp. Brennan Eagles was a junior, was a guy who had flashed big playability, and Troy was so impressive in fall camp that he had started over Brennan Eagles had he not had an ACL injury. Um, he is 6'3", 230 pounds. Uh, he looked pretty good in the spring game. I mean, he made a pretty good catch. He was obviously non-contact. He was in a black jersey because uh, they don't want to. They don't want to rush him back to contact just yet. But he should be full steam ahead come the fall. That'll be a really good feel-good story. And I talked about it early on, like in the first episode, I think. But Troy O'Meyer. Now that I figured out, I've, I've figured out the pronunciation. <laughs> I figured it out. Um, he's one of those guys like Brendan Eagles that excites you because he has the body type. So as a listener, you really want to understand that this is a guy that NFL teams might love just because he has that 6'4", that easy, that easy frame, the easy speed that you don't have to coach. And so if he's able to put that all together in terms of route running and able to finish at the point of catch, that's something that when you combine it with the ACL injury last year, it's something that you're really going to feel good about to see him have success coming this year as a Texas fan. Hey, y'all, we want to take another quick break to bring you a quote from Robert Trevino talking about his pick for a breakout candidate on this Texas football team. Ask you, Robert, this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate you coming on. Last question I'll ask is, who is your MVP for this Texas team preseason upcoming year? And who's a guy no one's really talking about, but you think can make a big impact? Yeah. um, So my MVP for me, uh, I mean, the one that I expect uh, to potentially, I mean, I think we're definitely going to get some Heisman conversations early in the season. We'll see how uh, it is later in the season if Texas drops a couple of games. But B. John Robinson is the real deal. Um, and it took him a couple of weeks to heat up. And I know a lot of people are going to say that he's MVP, but sometimes you got to go with the obvious one uh, because he's going to go for, I believe, 
over a G in rushing yards. I, I mean, he, he's going, he's going to live up to the expectations uh, for me, a player that no one's really talking about, but he's going to be a starting 11 on a really high profile offense is Troy Omier. I mean, he was having a great season last year uh, or not a great season. Excuse me. He was, he was looking great until he tore his ACL. Um, I believe before they even got the season started. Oh, yeah. So for me, yeah. yeah and, and for me, I mean, I, I don't know I, for he's, I can't, put those expectations on him in the same way as Bijan. But I believe that Troy Omier, I mean, you, you have a lot of offense. Uh, you have, you have a lot of options on offense. And I think once we see card or Thompson, and I, and I personally believe we'll see Thompson uh, more so, but I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I think we're going to see Omier uh, kind of become more of a, more of a threat, especially as kind of a dark horse. I think uh, definitely by mid season, Everyone at UT will know his name. Let's keep it in the wide receiver room for another feel-good story. I've got Jordan Whittington. Um, this Whittington was a high school five-star, uh, one of the most athletic players that you'll ever see coming out of Quero High School. Put on an absolute clinic in the 4A state championship game back in, uh, I believe it was either 2018 or 2019. I'm getting my years mixed up. Um, but he has been constantly injured through his first two years on on campus. And it's kind of crazy because I remember um, I, I was in I shared an elevator with Jordan Whittington one time. And he, it's whenever he was here, he came early for his spring because he like he graduated early and he was he was here that spring. Um, and I just remember being in the elevator with him. I'm like, dude, this dude's calves are the size of my head. You know what I mean? Like this dude is a physical like beast. I don't I don't know if you've seen, you've probably have seen him in real life as well. Yeah. But the dude is just like so strong and muscled up in every single part of his body. It's unreal, and so to, I, so I, I see that, and I know that he works extremely hard at his craft, and so for him to constantly uh, battle that injury bug has got to be frustrating for him. Um, it's got to be you know frustrating to no end for him, considering how much work he puts in as a professional athlete, obviously, or not as a professional athlete, but as a collegiate athlete. Yeah. Um, but so to see that work uh, result in the injuries, that's frustrating. And so if he has a, a, a year where he's expected to break out and, and he actually does it, that's going to feel really, really good to see as a Texas fan, I think. Yeah, his freshman year, uh, wide receiver, uh, he played one game, basically had one catch, and then re-aggravated a groin injury from high school. I think it was a pretty serious injury. It was, it was, he was out for, like, I think the whole year because of A whole year, pretty much. And then last year, it was, like, hamstring, ankle. There's a lot of, like, little ailments. Does he still have the fun hair? I believe he does still yeah, have the so fun that, hair. Yeah, so that's, a, that's something to watch out for if you're going to DK. Whenever, whenever you see Whittington take off his helmet, you see a lot of hair. Yeah. So he's just got a lot. And I remember seeing that whenever I was in the elevator with him. I was like, dude, that's like a lot of hair back there to put in a helmet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's got to be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, how do you even put on a helmet that way? But, uh, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see him come back and actually be healthy. I hope so. Hey, y'all, want to take another quick break to bring you a quote from Jeff Ketchum of OrangeBloods.com. He's going to be talking about the importance of Jordan Whittington to this Texas football team this year. Important player for this Texas team is, like, coming this fall, uh, for them to have success and let's go besides the quarterback or B. John Robinson. Cause I feel like those are two, you know, very obvious answers. So other than those two, who's, who's the mo most important player that you're watching for this season? Well, the answer is the quarterback, yeah. whoever it is. I mean, you could take all of the other positions and add them together. And I don't believe they equal the importance of uh, what great quarterback player above quarterback play can mean in college football, especially in the Big 12 Conference. It is the great equalizer. Uh, but to the spirit of your question, if we're going non-quarterback, non-Bijan Robinson, oh, 
God, there are a there are a lot of them. Um, you know what? Jordan Whittington just signed an NIL deal for us. I'll say him. I think that when we talk about the quarterback's importance, this is a program that I think lacks a number one receiver. Mm-hmm. And I think that what will be critical to the play of the quarterbacks is that somebody in this receiving unit step up and make their life easier. Who are they consistently throwing the ball to on third and five, third and nine, third and 16? You saw it in the spring game that Whittington was a guy that Casey Thompson was looking for early and often down the field, especially, you know, if this passing game is going to work, Whittington for me has to be a big time player this year. I don't know that in this Texas offense, the way it's currently constructed, that there's anybody that is suited to post a hundred catches, right? I don't know that we're talking about first team, all big 12, but if Jordan Whittington catches 70, 75 balls, has a thousand plus yards, let's say eight plus touchdowns that won't put him on first team, all big 12, but it would be a serious indication that a, this offense is really succeeding in year one under Steve Sarkeesian. And I think, it would really point to this quarterback position having a whoopee blanket, if you will. They're going to need one. This team needs somebody that these quarterbacks can depend on. And going into the season, they're kind of in short supply on guys that you can absolutely count on. Now, I think you could point to a guy like Christian Jones at left tackle and say he's paramount to the success of this team. I think you could point to the pass rush and even like a guy like Ovi Aghofu, who and you would say somebody has to get to the quarterback. And this was a team that really struggled to do that last season, even with Joseph Osai coming off of the edge. With him gone, they have to find somebody who can get there. And I think you can grab a pool of guys and say somebody from this group of three, four, five has to be someone who can at a minimum, give this program six to eight sacks this season. I think it's really hard to focus on double digits because we're, you got to walk before you can run. And right now, Texas is counting on a lot of players who've never actually done it before at the collegiate level, at this level, uh, performing at levels that just haven't existed yet. So my quarterback's the answer. Mm-hmm. I'll go to Jordan Whittington to piggyback off of just how important I think the quarterback is, but this is a roster with 15 guys on it that you could make a legitimate case are very critical for the reasons that are particular to them uh, and, and the needs on this team that could answer that question. Well, the wide receiver room has a lot of feel-good stories. We'll go the third and final one, I think. We got to talk a little bit about Joshua Moore. He was suspended all of 2019. Uh, he had a unlawful firearm possession I believe it was it got suspended for the entire year last year he was Texas's leading receiver in 2020 and I think he's a breakout candidate for this team uh he there's a lot of times he would kind of disappear a little bit in games and, and it wasn't always on him really a lot of it was that he's such a deep play threat and like we've talked about Ellinger started to struggle with his deep ball because I believe he was injured in the last few games of the year 
But I think I'm looking for Joshua Moore to really open up his route tree this year and not just be the streak, go down the field guy, but really he showed a lot of it in, uh, I believe it was the OU game. He had a lot of like dig routes, comeback routes. He's a, he's a crisp route runner when they give him a chance. And, and I think if he has a breakout year, just continues the solid trajectory that he's built. I think he's really worked hard to to turn his life around. Yeah, and well, and it's important for the listeners to keep this in mind as well. If Texas football is going to have a lot of success this year, you're going to see a lot of Joshua Moore because it, we already know what we have in Bijan, and we already know the run game is going to be there. It's going to be what the question is whether or not Texas is going to be efficient enough in their air attack to be able to beat these Big 12 defenses and you know to win games in that way. And so if Joshua Moore is effective in his role this year, I think that's going to lead to a lot more Texas wins if he's able to, like you said, figure out that route tree and be able to beat guys more than just running past them. I think that's going to be huge uh, for Texas football, and especially considering his story, um, just the off-the-field issues. And I think his freshman year before, even the off-the-field issues, he missed his freshman year with a torn ACL as well um, or something like that. Um, he had a season-ending injury. And so it's been a long time coming for Joshua Moore, to say the least. And I think now with Texas football, is going to be relying heavily on him, especially because I think we're rather thin in the wide receiver room. Um, and so I think if Texas football is going to experience a lot of success this year, Joshua Moore is going to be right in the middle of it. And that's going to feel good, especially for him, because it's like I said, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, and keeping it on the offensive side, another guy I want to point out is Christian Jones. Uh, after watching his tape last year, I mean, he's got all the athletic ability in the world. He's a former soccer player, was not very experienced as a football player, uh, playing in a, in a college offense. He, he played a lot of triple option in high school. But from all accounts in, in spring practice and summer workouts, he has made a lot of improvement with this new coaching staff. And I think that's a feel-good story is a guy who a lot of times it doesn't work out if you're raw at the college level. But this guy this is a guy who's raw and he's doing a lot of work on his technique and I think Keep going, yeah, especially at tackle. I was just going to especially add that. at tackle. Yeah, it's because a tackle is one of the most pivotal positions for sure. And watching his 2020 tape, I mean, there's times where he's really jumping out at you. It's just an athletic freak, but a lot of times he his technique is just so raw, and it kind of led to him giving up sacks or him having holding penalties. A lot of those mental mistakes on his part. I'm really looking forward to him having a uh, having a good season, and I think it'll be a testament to you know the hard work that he's done. Oh yeah. I mean, we talk about Bajan Robinson and how excited we are for this upcoming year. It's important to realize, you know, that the, all that starts with the guys up front. And this is a strong unit um, that he has in front of him that it's going to be able to create holes for him. And, uh, and Jones is a big part of that. And as a guy, like you said, a former soccer player, and that might even help him. He's his feet and his and his, and his technicality within his feet. He's a really athletic-looking guy, um, and so whenever you're talking about Bajan Robinson and that one-cut ability, there's got to be holes for him to make that one cut in. And so I think whenever you have this offensive line that I view as a strength, um, it's a feel-good story for sure to have Christian Jones be a part of that because, like I said, this is a guy that you said came in raw, and now he's a guy that we're going to look at as a pivotal part of our offensive line. I think the eighth storyline that we're going to get into is the non-conference schedule. This is kind of a powder keg moment where if Texas loses to Louisiana and Arkansas, as we talked about in the previous episode, Louisiana is a much better team than a lot of people think. Uh, a team that beat Iowa State last year, the first game of the season, a team that finished ranked higher than Texas, actually, even though they're a group of five team, They've got real talent. If Texas loses both those games, because also going to Arkansas, playing in Fayetteville is no no easy task. 
There's going to be a lot of pressure on Steve Sarkeesian. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be – it's important to realize, I think – that this is going to be a, a team where you watch these games and you got to frame it with the lens of the intensity, like the, as a fan. Like you have to watch every play. Like if we lose this game, there's so much pressure on Sarkeesian, especially like you said, within those first three games, that there's just so much riding on it. Mm-hmm. And with every play and with every, every score, there's going to be so much riding on it and so much pressure that's put on Sark to come away victorious with these games that these are going to be so high tense. And, like, it, 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 this is meaningful football. It's non-conference. Um, but, like you said, this is no cakewalk. And Louisiana and Arkansas, we lose those games. We come out 0-2. Suddenly, we're looking at Sarkeesian, and then we're thinking, oh, crap, did we make the right hire here? And as, as in Sarkeesian's scenario, I think that is absolutely worst-case scenario. And then something, as a Texas fan, that's like, you know, it's almost – we can't do it. But, you know, it's, it's a very real possibility because you have to go in and win football games when they happen. They're not one on paper, obviously. And so to go into these two games or in these three non-conference games is going to be it, – it's a lot riding on them. Texas fans, Texas players, I believe, uh, need something to get behind. They need Sarkeesian. Th- like, this needs to work out. This is one of the most important hires, I think, that has been made at the University of Texas. With all that's going on with now the SEC move, with Chris Del Conte, this is his uh, this is his coach that he has hired. This is the guy he's endorsing. A lot of pressure is being put on Steve Sarkeesian. And the storyline that Texas is bad against lesser teams early in the season is tired. Like, I'm sure they're tired of hearing it about, like, how often, like, the running joke. I mean, Maryland literally tagged them in it the other day on Twitter. They literally made a joke about how, the, you know, they don't want to play Maryland their first two years because they don't want to start off with a loss. And that's Maryland. Like, they're talking trash to Texas football, and, like, in what universe should that should that exist ever? You know what I mean? And so, and that's got to be super frustrating um, for everyone involved. And so I know – you know, everyone knows, CDC, Sarkeesian, everyone knows that this is the moniker behind Texas is that they've never been able to get it done, especially early in the season against these lesser teams. And so to finally get that monkey off their back is going to be a huge deal for them. And that's it. That's, it, might, it might be one of the most exciting storylines worth watching this year, I think. Yeah. The, uh, on the positive end, if Texas gets through conference, non-conference unscathed, which they have not done since the Mac Brown era, as we talked about last episode, they've not started 3-0. and since Mac Brown, if they're able to do that, the Sarkeesian and Texas football hype train is going to be off the charts. I know it, especially when you go against that Oklahoma matchup or even that TCU matchup at 4-0. These are going to be nationally college game day at 7 p.m. We're going to be playing TCU, and every, all eyes are going to be on it. It's going to be – we're going to have – what's the guy, the guy that the exciting dude at Fox that calls games? Uh, yeah, Gus Johnson will be, like, in the studio calling these games. Like, these are going to be big deals, but it all rides on these first three games. Exactly, and on the flip side, if Texas doesn't win these games, you're getting just agonizing deja vu flashbacks to Tom Herman in Maryland – and uh, all those early season setbacks. Yeah, so it just gets worse because then you look worse as a program. And you're like, oh man, you just fired your coach, and you just or you just fired your last one, and your new one is is doing the same thing as your last one was. You know what I mean? And that just gives more talking points for everyone who might even be saying Texas shouldn't even is isn't good enough to compete in the SEC. There's just a lot of statements to be made within these first three games and we're going to see exactly what kind of time that Texas is on and we'll see it quick and it's exciting to see hey y'all we're going to take another quick break from Brett and I talking y'all's ear off to bring you a quote from Brian Davis of the Austin American Statesman covering Texas football and men's basketball he's going to be talking about the non-conference schedule for Texas football 
and the tough sledding they have to do in these first three games. So you mentioned, yeah, like wide receiver, linebacker, two areas of concern for Texas, not a lot of proven pieces there. Who are a few breakout candidates you think, either wide receiver, linebacker, um, or just on this entire team, on this entire roster, who you think fans aren't really talking about yet, but they're going to get to know them come the fall? Well, I mean, I you know, I, I, I'm pretty hot on Troy O'Meary, but yeah, I do think he's going to be a solid talent. There's no doubt about it. My whole, my whole thing with him is that, you know, that guy's got to earn it first. You can't, you can't just anoint him as, you know, a thousand yard receiver until he can go out there and prove it. I, I think there's defensively. Um, I know Steve Sarkeesian keeps talking up Ray Thornton, you know, the LSU transfer. Mm-hmm. I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, ben Davis. Here's another guy from the, an Alabama transfer. You know, if these guys were doing so well, at their previous schools, they'd be starting for those schools or they'd be in the NFL. Okay. I mean, that, that's, that's the, the, I hate to be negative, but that's the, that's God's honest truth. If these guys were good, they'd be in the NFL. Okay. Or they, or they'd be staying at their current school. So, um, you know, your problems as an, as a team will not be solved in the transfer port. It just won't. You need to you need to get freshmen. You need to coach them up. You need to re, you need to develop those players um, from the ground up, so to speak. Now you can plug holes here and there, and that's what the transfer portal is going to be great for. Is that hey, we, we 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 need a left tackle. You know, our left tackle got hurt or whatever. Okay, great. You know, go find yourself an offensive lineman. You can plug and play. There's no doubt about that. But you are not going to dramatically revamp your team, um, at least in football, by you know stockpiling guys in the, through the pool. All right. Now we want to give the listeners YouTube wormholes to go down for human highlight reels. So who are the most exciting players on this Texas football team to go on YouTube and watch their highlights? I'll start off first. You got to go watch Jordan Whittington's high school highlight tape. And I know that might be kind of lame for me to say because he's now been with the program for two years. There's not a lot of Texas highlights out there. But partially, I mean, that's not his fault. I mean, you know, staying healthy is uh, an ability, but he has just not been healthy so far in his first two years. So there's not a lot of tape out there on him. But if you want to get excited about Jordan Winnington, go watch that Quero first Pleasant Grove high school football state championship game. He was the offensive and defensive MVP in that game. He single-handedly beat one of the best Texas high school football programs uh, that there is in Pleasant Grove. He is so athletic. He was a great runner. He he can do it all. And he, even in that game, he was doing it on the defensive side too. He doesn't even... exactly. So he'll be playing in the slot this year, and especially with Jake Smith gone now, he's going to be the guy that they're looking to to have a breakout year. If you want to get down on a on a wormhole, go YouTube some Jordan Whittington Quero highlights. Uh, they are they are very impressive to watch. Yeah, and Jordan Whittington is a player uh, that is not only exciting, but this is a guy that's also good. Um, you know, the guy that is useful in a number of ways, not just in at, at split out wide. A guy that I think it was originally a running back as well. Yeah. I mean, he's just talented in every facet of the game. You just give him the ball. He's one of those players like a Tyreek Hill. I mean, obviously he's not Tyreek Hill, but a Tyreek Hill kind of player where you just want to get the ball in his hands and see what he does with it. And because he's just that level of talented. And so whenever you think about uh, human highlight reels and think, you know, what's exciting to watch, just watch Jordan Whittington, you know, take the top off a of defense on a go route and just DKR explodes. That, that's something you're going to see, I think, coming into the season. 
Another guy I think will stay in the wide receiver room who is a, is a human highlight reel, Joshua Moore on the deep ball. Uh, the, the last season in 2020 was kind of a breakout for him. He led Texas in receiving yards, uh, but he has excellent body control and excellent focus going up over uh, other would-be defenders to, to catch touchdown passes. And it was really even evidenced in the Alma Bowl when Casey Thompson was throwing post routes to him in the end zone. They really had a good connection. That was, that was encouraging to see. Yeah, I mean, and Texas has to figure out who is that guy that we can throw it up to whenever, you know, I have a defensive end you know, ringing down on me, and it's third and 15, and I just want to throw it up to him to give us a chance. Because they lost one of those in Brennan Eagles. Right, exactly. So that was my point. I was going to say we've always had these guys, whether it be Colin Johnson or Brennan Eagles, that have had this uh, this this big playability and their inability just to, uh, to be good at the contested catch and to be able to make those big plays down the field. And it's going to be interesting to see if Joshua Moore can sort of fill that role uh, that Brennan Eagles and, and before that Colin Johnson left. Uh, that was really just so exciting to see. I mean, how many times did we see Colin Johnson make a, a spectacular catch in the end zone over another DB just because he was taller than him? You know what I mean? Like, it's just going to have to be – it's going to be interesting to see um, if we can sort of replace that level of a spot, a spectacular highlight level uh, tape and also just that production that we need as well as far as the deep threat goes. One of the most fun YouTube wormholes you can go down um, – and this isn't my pick just yet. I'll get to it. I'll make my point here. Bijan Robinson High School highlight tape <laughs> is unreal. It's like watching a man amongst boys. So that that is uh, it, it's a hilarious watch if you want to go if you want to go see just a grown man playing in a, what seems like a pee wee football league. Uh, but Bijan Robinson, if you want to if you want to see him in a Texas uniform balling out, look at the last three games of last season. So go to West Virginia. Um, I shouldn't say the last three, but the three games from last season to watch is, is West Virginia, Kansas State and Colorado and I think that is where B. John Robinson was finally kind of handed the keys and it was finally his spot in the running back rotation and he took advantage of it I mean he averaged 18 yards per carry versus Kansas State uh, he had a couple really big plays versus West Virginia and in the Alma Bowl uh, he earned offensive MVP so he really showed you his one cut ability, his balance that he has. Uh, it, it, he's really the complete package. The only area that Bijan Robinson, like I think, does isn't elite in is breakaway speed. Right. I think there's a lot of times where he gets caught from behind by safeties. Not saying he's like slow, but he's not. I'd put him in like the four six range, probably like for a forty yard dash. He's not like a four four type of guy. Yeah, and that's not his strength either. What his strength is. Um, and he's sort of like maybe not as speedy, but he's sort of in that Saquon Barkley level, uh, cut from that same level of cloth in which all he takes is that one cut and with that one step and you made your guy miss and now I get 15 more yards because of it. You know, I mean, he's so special in that one-on-one -on -one scenario. It's so hard to bring him down um, whenever you're just one-on-one -on -one with him in the hole because he's so shifty and we've just, he's got like that, the Saquon and the Reggie Bush level comparisons just because, you know, whenever you have a running back who is just so good at making a guy miss, like that's more than a weapon and almost than anything. So we're going to be excited to see uh, Bajan Robinson just make play after play, I think, upcoming this year because, like you said, he was finally handed the keys at for the West Virginia game, and we're going to see that this year on steroids probably. Mm -hmm. And now let's get a guy on the defensive side of the ball. 
I'm going to go with Deshaun Jameson. I think you can watch his kickoff returns and punt returns, and he's electric on special teams. It's going to be a big asset for the Longhorns. But also, he makes some really cool plays on defensive side. I remember 2019 against West Virginia, I believe it was, he made a soaring one-handed interception. where He basically wrestled it out of a West Virginia wide receiver's hands. Um, and he makes plays like that all the time. Even in the spring game, he had a, he had a 96-yard interception return for a touchdown so he's one of the biggest stars on this texas football team he's a human highlight reel and he's electric it's weird just because with dbs like you think the ball is coming their way oh crap oh crap oh crap what's going to happen but with jameson you're excited the ball is coming his way he's a guy that's so good he's just a guy that you want the ball to be around because he is so good as far as just being Exactly, just bring it up because he's going to make a play on it. You know what I mean? And as far as just with punt returning and kick returning and also, like you mentioned, that ability to just force takeaways as a corner is so exciting. It's going to be so important to Texas as well because, as we know, when Texas wins that turnover battle, it almost it's, it's feast or famine with them. If they win it, then they're a lot, li- a lot more likely to win. And so they're going to need that from Jamison coming into this year. The tenth and final storyline that we wanted to talk about is all of the transfers – that have come in with Steve Sarkeesian playing on this Texas team this year. The biggest headline grabbers are the ones in the linebacker room because linebacker was a position that did not have a lot of depth in the spring. DeMarvion Overshone was hurt. Jawan Mitchell transferred. They lost Joseph Osai to the NFL. So they brought in some reinforcements from big-name SEC schools. Yeah, we got 15 new faces on campus uh, from the transfer portal and with COVID-19 and everything they now the rule has been abolished or you have to sit out a year um, transfer is obviously going to be a more prominent part of college football um, but Texas it seems has really taken advantage of that and they needed to obviously with their head coach leaving um, new re- <laughs> that's obviously means that you're going to have guys that recruit that were recruited by that head coach that are going to leave and so it was really vital for Sarkeesian to come in and really find some good transfers um, especially with the like you said um, the guys that left in the in the linebacking room, we were really thin, um, especially whenever Jawan Mitchell decided to go to Tennessee. Uh, we were really fortunate to be able to find guys, like you said, from LSU and Alabama uh, that are going to come in here and sort of give us a role that we're not – we don't know what, what level of production that we're going to get from them yet here as fans at UT and guys that we haven't watched um, at their respective colleges. And it's sort of an exciting thing, and it goes really hand-in-hand hand with the things that we're excited about is because, you know, we don't know exactly how well they're going to be um, but I think that they have potential, the guys that we've gotten, like Ray Thornton and the Al- and also the linebacker from Alabama, that's also going to be really, really integral parts of this defense. Yeah, Ray Thornton and Ben Davis, I think the biggest contribution that you're going to see out of those guys is just the veteran leadership. They're both guys who have been around the college football game for a while and have been in the SEC at powerhouse conferences. Keandre Coburn made a big emphasis of this at the Big 12 Media Days that they know how to win. They've been in locker rooms that yeah. have had sustained success. They've learned uh, from from those programs. And I think they can bring some of that same attitude to Texas. So even if you don't see like Ray Thornton and Ben Davis are both guys who should be receiving some significant playing time, but even if they don't replace like, oh, jo- uh, they don't replace Joseph Osai's production. Yeah. A lot of what they bring to the table is in that veteran leadership. Yeah. I think it's so important for the for the listener to realize just how important that is. Like to have guys coming from LSU and Alabama that have, like you said, that have won before. Mm-hmm. They know what it takes. They know the level of buy-in it takes uh, to win. Just the day in and day out grind that it takes to win and just the mindset that you have to have. It's worked for them and they've seen it work. So, and, they, and so it's for them to see it. 
it's important because no one on this Texas roster has even experienced, you know, a conference championship win. Nope. And so to have that level of leadership um, from transfers is something that a lot of teams don't have. And so Texas sort of has maybe an advantage um, over some other schools that don't have guys that might be playing pivotal roles for them that come from uh, programs like LSU and Alabama. And like I said, I just wanted to reinforce to the listener, like having that in your locker room, because you might not see that on Saturday when you go to DKR. Um, you might not see the guy, like you said, Ray Thornton, make a big play. Um, but the presence in the locker room and just the overall knowing how to get to that big game and knowing how to win it is really what's important from these transfer guys. Another transfer I'm excited about is actually in the running back room. Another guy from Alabama, Keelan Robinson, not related to Bijan Robinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Keelan Robinson, I believe, is uh, going to be a sophomore because he sat out last year, opted out of the season due to COVID-19. But he is a home run threat. So where we talked about Bijan Robinson, maybe his weakness is his like long field speed. Keelan Robinson is is fast, and it's really evident. There was clips on Twitter of him, uh, just really where the safety, a D one safety, has the angle on this kid, yeah. and he just runs by him like he's a statue. Yeah. It was really unreal. So yeah, it's really good to have that, especially with the one weakness that you might have. With Robinson is that speed. He just provides just speed, speed, and more speed. Mm-hmm. And so that'll be really good. Is I feel like Bijan's a guy who can be a three-down back. Uh, I, I know he's that type of player, but whenever you need to give Bijan Roshan a break or if there's an injury, Keelan Robinson, it's always great to have a guy like that as a third option just in case disaster strikes and Bijan and Roshan get hurt. I mean, and the cool thing about, um, about Robinson is that uh, – he is. He has three years of eligibility remaining. So this isn't just this year. Yeah, can provide a threat. We're looking at you know something that's going to make a difference as far as a program goes, and so that's just even more exciting. Last guy I want to point out is in the secondary uh, transfer from McNeese State is Darian Dunn. He is a cornerback, and we've talked about the woes of Texas secondary plenty on this preview show. Darian Dunn is a is a grad transfer and a guy who I think if we don't see strides from Josh Thompson uh, could could potentially start receiving more and more playing time uh, I've heard great things about him from the spring he seems like he's come in knows his role uh, knows that he's probably not going to be starting but you know he's got that small school mentality he comes from McNeese, McNeese State uh, he's excited he thinks he's ready for the division one uh, power five lights and I'm excited to see what he can do on special teams and maybe even getting in some action at quarterback this year. Yeah, it's been really uh, good reports from Dunn um, out of spring practice. And there's a lot of people that, you know, that know that Texas really needs this, uh, this production coming out of the corner uh, position. And they just have said that all he's done since arriving on campus has, has made plays. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, the turnover battle is what's really going to determine uh, whether or not Texas football is going to be able to come out victorious in a lot of these games, especially just considering last year, um, it was so vital to their success. And I think having a guy like Darian Dunn, who just at least from early on just seems to be a playmaker, that can make a big difference. And just having a guy who can just make plays and potentially just flip games by just getting you the ball in certain situations, that thing, that, that kind of thing can win a ga- an extra game or two on a season. Well, those are our top ten storylines for the 2021 Texas football season feels like 05 it, it is there I haven't felt this much excitement around the Texas football team uh, in in quite some time 
maybe, well, I shouldn't say quite some time because probably 2019 was a lot of excitement <laughs> after the Sugar Bowl win. But yeah. new coach, Steve Sarkeesian, bringing new juice into this program. Fans are going to be all the way back. Uh, DKR is going to be popping with the new South End Zone con- uh, construction done. Yeah. It's an exciting time to be a Texas Longhorn fan. It's so exciting, and I had it's been so exciting just to put this preview together just because it's come uh, to realize as I've done it, this the roster that Texas has – is just really exciting, and going in to watch it, every UT fan and every uh, every Texas. Or even and that's going to wrap up this year's preview for the upcoming 2021 season for your Texas Longhorns. Before you go, my co-host Carter, along with our amazing production team of Nikhil and Varun, would like to thank Brian Davis, Cami Griffin, Jeff Ketchum, Joseph Cook, Robert Javino, and Stephen Wagner for truly elevating this podcast. In addition, we wanted to especially thank the listeners for making Feels Like 05 your trusted source for a reliable, thorough, and informative preview for the upcoming 2021 season. This season is one that has plenty of people excited, and for good reason. The arrival of Steve Sarkeesian, the emergence of Bajan Robinson, and the grueling nature of this year's schedule. And with all of this aforementioned excitement, this of course means there are more avenues than ever to prepare yourself for this upcoming year, and you chose us. And for that, on behalf of my co-host Carter, producers Nikhil and Varun, we thank you. And hook them horns.